Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today we conclude our series on This We Believe. And I I don't know um, what your summer has looked like, what the journey has looked like, but the journey of this series has been an interesting one as far as uh, some of the feedback that I've gotten from many of you as far as conversation and just talking about some of the topics and the different things uh, that we've walked through. This has been um, a formative series uh, for many that I've talked to. It's been a formative series for me as a reminder, maybe a reminder or first time hearing things. But there are specific things that we believe that we need to know a little bit more about, right? We, we know uh, maybe the basics from time to time, or we understand things from, uh, you know, on a, on a smaller or, or even a, a 5,000, you know, uh, mile look at it, but we need to recognize, we need to know what we believe. And so today as we finished, we started actually um, in June with this series. We started at the beginning, right? We started in Genesis chapter 1. Today we're going to, we're going to go all the way to the other end, and we're going to conclude um, in the Revelation. We're going to conclude in John's Revelation uh, at, at, at the, la- the last book, the last thing that we might read, um, not chronologically, but the last thing we might read in the Scripture as we look at our New Testament. And there's an interesting principle to understand about uh, this final portion, this destiny, so to speak, as uh, our Articles of Religion um, state, and that is that we play a role in what takes place, possibly partially on a grand scale, but we play a role specifically on a personal scale in what takes place in the context of our destiny. In 2009, uh, Bear Grylls uh, came out with a, a show on Netflix called You Versus Wild, right? He had his show for a long time called Man Versus Wild, and he would go out and he would show different tricks on how to survive if you're ever dropped into the Amazon or you know, all these different things that obviously we're all going to do, right? Uh, but he would show all these, these different ways to survive and plants that could help you and animals and this and that. But in, in 2019, he came out with a show called You Versus Wild. And the interesting thing about this show is when it first came out, out, uh, and, and most of us know, and, and I understand this in my own home, that um, younger people just somehow intrinsically technology comes to them. And so I, I came in the room, and my kids were watching this, this show, and as I began to, to just kind of sit there and watch, I was thinking about something else, I noticed that they were controlling what was happening on the show. And I thought, wait a minute, how are you guys doing this? And then I, I realized that as Bear Grylls would walk through the show, he would get to a certain point and he'd say, okay, I need, you know, I need clean water. And he would give two options on what to do. You can either, you know, filter it this way or you can drink it this way or, you know, or you can look in another place. He would give two different options and you as the viewer would get to choose which option he would do. And sadly, what would happen sometimes is you would pick the wrong one right? And he would have to eat something really gross, or he would do something that was dangerous. And the other part that's sad is my kids thought it was funny <laughs> to go back and pick it again. But what would happen is eventually the show would end, and sometimes it would end abruptly. Hey, you know what? He just got sick, or he had to get life lighted out of there, or whatever. Or sometimes it would get to the end if you picked the right sequence of events to get to the end, to that specific place where he would find rescue or civilization or whatever the goal was for that specific episode. 
And the interesting thing about this, or the, the most interesting about, thing about this, is this is much more of a reflection or a metaphor for how our lives operate, how we operate as believers or as individuals, as, as living souls, rather than regular old TV where they dictate what happens and that's the end of it. And I'll talk about that in a moment as we look at this concept of destiny. Let me read from uh, the, the uh, Wesleyan Discipline. Destiny, paragraph 250, it says, We believe that the Scriptures clearly teach that there is a conscious personal existence after death. The final destiny of each person is determined by God's grace and that, and that, and that person's response, evidenced, evidenced inevitably by a moral character which results from that individual's personal and volitional choices and not from any arbitrary decree of God. Heaven, with its eternal glory and the blessedness of Christ's presence, is the final abode of those who choose the salvation which God provides through Jesus Christ. But hell, with its everlasting misery and separation from God, is the final abode of those who neglect this great salvation. Now, this specific paragraph is interwoven and has been interwoven within the context of the sermons over the course of this entire series. There is a choice. God is good. He's created the world. He's created us. He's created an opportunity for us through the person of Jesus to be able to experience Him, and at the same time through the person of the Holy Spirit to be able to come to Him and even to be in His presence. And so, as we see this and recognize this, we know that this is, this is not necessarily new territory. But the reality is, as we walk through this par paragraph, we get to a point of recognition that there is something that takes place after we die, after our physical bodies, I should say, die on, on this earth. And that is that there is a destination for each of our souls in one of two places, and it is eternal. And that is heaven with God, which is the awesome part of heaven, being with God, not the, the pearly gates or the streets of gold. Or the, no, the, the, the awesome part about heaven is that we get to spend eternity with the creator, the light, the, the, the hope of the world. And then on the other end, should we not know Jesus, then we, we, we live eternally damned in hell not separated with, from God, not in his presence, which is the actual real punishment or the, the most punishing part. So when we look at this word destiny, I don't know where you are with it. A lot of times I think about it in, in mystical terms, or I did especially before I did more of a study on this uh, several years ago. Just to me, destiny was kind of one of those uh, faux pas words within the church. It's like, destiny? Wait a minute. No, that seems kind of spiritual or, or whatever, out, or mystical, I should say, outside of the spiritual realm. But destiny is the events that will necessarily happen to a particular person in future. What happens or what we have the tendency to do from time to time is that we, we, we engage destiny or we, we relate destiny to that of faith, when in essence they are different terms because fate is actually predestined. Fate is something that happens without us having any engagement in it. And I have a, a little um, uh, uh, slide here with a little, um, there we go, an illustration here. So we look at these two. So fate has this predetermined um, direction, right? Pre fate follows this specific predetermined um, direction that's already set in motion for us, that's already there, that we have no uh, concept or no way of changing, nothing to do with it. Destiny, on the other end, depends upon your choices. It depends upon what we do. And this even kind of falls short because this specific uh, illustration does not grant um, the, the concept of, or the presence of, of the Holy Spirit engaging with this individual as they make their choices. But yet it does d illustrate the fact that destiny would require that we have or, or grants, we have the opportunity to be able to make choices. 
And so as we look at this, this specific understanding, here's the first point right out of the gate as it pertains to our understanding of destiny through the Wesleyan discipline and Scripture. The final destiny of each person is determined by God's grace, and this is very important, and that person's response. So when we look at the, this destiny, when we look at the life that we have, when we look at the final destination of our soul, it's hinged upon both the fact that God has granted grace to all people. We, have all, we all have the opportunity to receive this grace, and that's the, that's the second part of me. It feeds right into it. We have a response to be made. So therefore, we all are to respond in some way, and probably all of us in this room have at some point responded in some way to this grace. This is a, a two-player endeavor. This is a two-player activity. This is something where we both have the opportunity, us and our Creator have the opportunity to engage, to say yes or to say no. Both members have to turn their key, so to speak, right? That's, that's, that's the, the missile uh, code method, right, or, or, or uh, metaphor. Both have to turn their key. Both people have to say yes, or both entities. God has to say yes, which He already has, in case you didn't know that, by sending His Son, Jesus, there's a news flash for you. And now the ball is in your court, so to speak. What is your response going to be to the grace and mercy that God has given? Furthermore, you can't force a gift on someone else. So, so here's the deal. God doesn't just uh, treat us as, as robots or as pets where he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Instead, he doesn't barge into our house. Instead, he stands at the door and knocks. He offers the invitation. He offers the gift. He says, here you go. I want you to have this. And while sometimes it might be unwanted, the gift is still there. The arm is still extended because God loves us. And through His grace, He attempts to give us this opportunity to experience a destiny with Him. On the other end, you can't receive a gift that someone else is not offering. In fact, that's called theft. But here's the deal. It is offered. And so that part, we don't even have to minim or we don't have to, to sit on or to, to, to focus on at all. We can minimize that and move on because it's already been offered. And so what we're going to do as we look at the concept of destiny is we're going to focus more on our response and what we receive through that and what the world receives and what's going to happen in the world as we move forward rather than simply looking at whether or not God loves us and whether or not He's engaged. So like I said before, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We're going to read a little bit. I'm going to summarize some of it as we walk through. But I do want to say a few words about Revelation. In all my time in youth ministry, when I would ask the students, which book do you want to study? Which book do you want to walk through? Inevitably, every time, at least one, probably more of the students would say, let's walk through Revelations. And first I will say, there is only one Revelation. It's not plural. There is one revelation. The second thing I would say is, why do you want to do this? I would ask them the question. In many cases, it would harken back to a desire in some way to try to put all the clues together to figure out this treasure map so that we could get the end goal. We could figure out what's going to happen. Or maybe we could even be part of helping God to come along a little bit so that we can get this all done, right? We can bring it, bring it on. Let me just say, that's not how you read Revelation. In fact, the message of Revelation is not all that new. It's written throughout Scripture in many cases. In many cases, it, it, it's just an expression of the words that Jesus spoke. It's the expression of the words that are recorded through the Gospels and in Paul's letters as well, and even in the Old Testament. Why did John, John the Revelator, why did he write this? There's a lot of reasons why he did. Obviously, he was being faithful to the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting to note that why he wrote it also brings forth uh, a, a, another question, how should we read it? 
There's many different ways you can look at it. You can look at it in futuristic or, or prophetic tones where here's what's going to happen. You can read it in historic. Here's what has happened. You can read it in a metaphoric way where here these things represent something else for an understanding of what to, what's going to happen or what has, has happened. Or you can read it in, liberal, uh, in literal terms, excuse me. And in that same way, in literal terms, you see things as they are. Let me tell you, it should be read in all of those ways at some point. Now, not all the time, but all of those specific ways are, are proper within the right context of reading these 22 chapters. So what is it? Uh, it's, it's not an opportunity for us to, to be Nicolas Cage and National Treasure and go from clue to clue trying to figure out the future, but it is an opportunity for John to express through the power of the Holy Spirit what is to come, the reality of what is to come as what's already have, has happened, what is to come and what we have to look forward to. Have you ever just looked forward? To, I, I, I know that sometimes this takes place before a holiday or before summer or before, uh, excuse me, before vacation. You might be thinking, man, I'm really looking forward to this thing. You know that, that thing that happens within you when you're excited about something to come? Maybe, uh, you know, a birth of a child or a wedding, these things that come that we're really excited about? I am excited. I don't know about you. I am excited about things to come. I'm excited at the reality that God will come through on this promise. A new earth will be created. And, and because of his love, mercy, and grace, I and you have the opportunity to be able to experience that in a very real and eternal way. There's three specific sections that I want to uh, kind of look at as, we, as it pertains to this last couple of chapters in Revelation these sections explore God's kingdom and what his kingdom is going to look like, uh, referred to several times as the New Jerusalem. It's mostly historic, some prophetic. It's illustrated through metaphor and, and some literal translation. But looking at these two chapters, we see that God has a plan. It's the marriage of heaven and earth. It's a bride that reveals that at this marriage. It's making all things new. It's refreshing. It's also kind of a kaleidoscope of all Old Testament, or a lot of Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled. And the thing that's interesting to note is it's not about building a new temple, a physical temple, or, a, uh, you know, here's the architectural structure in which we want to do it. No, it's about this new place where God permeates all, which is amazing. Because before you look at the Old Testament, you see that God was in the Holy of Holies. He was in the, the temple, right? He was in this specific place. In this new world, there is no, there's no walls that are going to keep him from being in the presence of all people. The last part is, and this is probably the most humbling of all, is humanity gets to rule alongside in God's image. Like, we get to be part of this redemptive work. And so I want to read. We're going to start in chapter 21. You can follow along, uh, hopefully, on the screen. Yep, you can follow along on the screen as well. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and, he will, and we will dwell with him. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He will be seated on the throne that is, I am making everything, that said, I am making everything new. We're going to pause there. This is an amen. 
The point, the first point, if you're following along in this part, is, is God will establish a new, perfect, and eternal world. Now this, this passage illustrates a world that is unimaginable by you and I. A world that all the things, th- think about this for a moment. Th- think about the things in your life. And if you want to close your eyes and just, and just think about this, all the things in your life that, that, that put that pit in your stomach, all the things in your life that bring you grief, all the things in life that, that make your hair fall out or turn gray, all the things in your life that bring pain to you are gone. And the awesome thing about it is it's not just a void that's left. You can open your eyes. Don't fall asleep on me if you had them closed. The void, that, if there's, there's no void that's left. Instead, the thing that fills all of those spaces that we previously reserved for stress or discouragement or darkness are filled with joy. And not just a joy that we might believe to be just a, a temporal thing or something that, we, that happens because of circumstance, because usually that's not joy, that's just happy. But what I will say is a joy that is forever. Sometimes we, we maybe forget this. We go about our job, we go about our hobbies, we go about our relationship or doing things, but ultimately that's the reality for the believer. Let me read that again. A, a world where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And jumping down, he says, and the throne says, I am making everything new. But going along with that, if God's going to create a new earth, a perfect earth, the old one must be destroyed. You can't remain here. You can't stay on the fence. And should you not experience this, should you not go through this with him, then the reality is that you will be lost. And I'm not trying to scare anyone into the kingdom. I'm just giving you the facts. This new earth is the best part. This new earth will include us. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 5, the second half of that, letter B, it says, Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It was the first call uh, of, for the pastor to say, hey, why don't you take notes? It's a good thing to do, right? He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual and moral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. John continues with this theme of overcoming on the first half of this passage, this theme of being victorious, of conquering. 
And this is a perfect gift like the the first world was intended to be. This gift is for those, additionally, for those who follow Christ. But here's the deal. As as, as we experience the brokenness in the world, no one can deny that, right? No one can deny that there is brokenness in the world. Whether you are a a believer or or on an extreme on the other end, doesn't matter where you are, the Christian, the atheist alike, we we can all state that there is brokenness in the world. But this living water, as John puts it, in this, the, the way that he's being metaphoric right here, this, this living water representing Jesus and the gift that Jesus gives brings forth an abundance, an eternal life, a new day, a gift that everyone will thirst for and everyone does thirst for, whether they want to acknowledge that or not. And for those who rely only on the world and what the world has to offer, they will forfeit that privilege of drinking this water, period. Jesus Jesus answered the call, so to speak, to come to this world. And this wasn't like plan B. It wasn't like, okay, let me do this. No, Jesus, he, he understood his role. He understood what he was to do. Jesus is 100% God, is 100% man. And because of that specific, that, that, that one thing that he holds that no one else does, he fully understands the heart of God and he fully understands the heart and mind of man, of humankind. And so when he came to this earth, he did so understanding that his purpose was to bring forth a bridge for us so that we might be able to experience this real spring. And he came and he lived a perfect life, sacrificing all that he had, sacrificing his his time, his talent, and his treasure. As he lived this perfect life, he gained wisdom. He understood things. He loved. He brought joy to people. He healed. He taught. He brought forth an opportunity for apostles to be able to learn so that they might be disciples who make disciples. And thankfully they did because we're here today or else we would have never even heard this. He then went about his, his, his way of understanding what God wanted him, the Father wanted him to do through, through, through illustrating uh, one, one thing that we do often, illustrating uh, this, this concept of communion, of experiencing the blood and, and, the, and the bread, the, the blood and, and, the, and the body, and the, the, the cup and the bread. He then followed willingly, the God of, of all creation with all the power in the world, willingly followed the plan which was for him to die. And not just die, but to be sacrificed, to be beaten, to be humiliated. He was brought before all, and then he finally hung on a cross and died for us. And right there is the moment to which uh, all of the the legions in, in hell, all of them applauded. Yes, we finally won. But what did Jesus do? He said, nope, it's not over. Instead, he rose from the grave. He beat death, giving forth the opportunity for all people to experience real and lasting change, transformation, and life. I don't know if you get tired of hearing this, but it's no less true than it was the first time you heard it. God loves you so much that he died for you. And because he was God, his gift was perfect, and therefore it's eternal, and it's for all people. There's no limitation to it. It's for all people to respond to. And so when John talks about this living water, he's talking about the reality that Jesus came and provided living water. In fact, the point is God has presented a redeeming remedy for the inhabitants of this world. 
I just want to, one quick side note. When we look through these, the second half of this passage, it talks about those who are not going to experience the, 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 um, the, the, the presence of God in eternity. It's those who have, have made something else, some other evil desire, some other prideful desire, have made something else their king. And the biggest one here that stands out is this, this, those who practice magic arts. And you might look at that and think, oh, it's just people that are involved in witchcraft. No, they were actually trying to summon an opportunity for themselves to, to, to earn it, to earn some type of rightness in the, in, with the gods in, eternal, in an eternal perspective. Let me just say, that is not too far off to, to, to people within the context of the, the present-day world because there are people that are attempting to try to do it themselves. If you want to know more about that, last week I talked about this concept, this understanding of using our gifts and, and, and engaging in good works and the fact that they don't, they're not there for us to earn our salvation. Instead, it's still about the cross. It's still about Jesus. Further, it says the character of new people of God is on display in this new creation. Meaning that your secret life, I did a series not too long ago, I think it was actually Advent last year, so it has been a while ago, talking about our secret life and how there's this place in our life where no one else knows just between us and God. Well, let me just say, that's exposed for all to see. So holiness is important. It's this concept of, of serving God and loving Him. It's not just, hey, let me get my ticket so that I make sure I get in, but instead it's becoming more, allowing Him to transform us and becoming more like God. John then goes on to describe the completeness and perfection of this new creation. And jumping down to verse, or excuse me, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign, and they will reign forever and ever. The reward for the believer is to be in the presence of God for eternity. Yes, it's going to be a place where there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain. Let me tell you, the reason is because you're in the presence of a holy God who is not ever able to be in the presence of pain or darkness. This is the climax. This is everything good that we experience or everything that we know comes from God. It, it, it's, it's, it, it, think about this for a moment. If the, if the Holy Spirit removed from this planet right now, everything good, everything that's generated from goodness is, is removed from this planet, I mean, that's the, that's the greatest punishment you could give. I've heard that the, the story or the context or the, 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 this, the account uh, in the past about uh, the early, um, early church, I should say, but also villages in the, in, the, in the first century that basically when they got large enough, they would, they would need specific guard. They would need those that were wise. And so after a certain amount of time when men had, had their children and brought them into uh, their shop, say they were a carpenter, they brought them into their shop when they got about you know, 18 or 20 years old and they were working in the shop, the, the father would hand the shop over and he would be, you know, somewhere in the 40 to 45 range. He, he, was, he was more wise. He'd, he'd lived life. And at that point, he didn't just retire, but he went to this place of being one of the guards, one of the council, one of the wise men of that village or city. And the goal for these individuals, as these, these men, I'm sorry, uh, it was a, it was a, 
uh, almost exclusively men's society at that point or uh, male society at that point for this specific role. They would go to the gate and they would be there for many different reasons. One was to protect the people. One was to bring forth judgments. As people had uh, disagreements or had need, they would come and they would help them. But the most important, one of the most important things that they did was to, to spiritually care for their people. For they would bring life, they would bring prayer, they would, they would support, they would, they would do all they could to, to, to bring forth an opportunity for their people to know and grow in God. And the word actually used there in, in describing this in many cases is ecclesia, which we see uh, if, if, you, if you study the original text very, or the original language very much in the text, you would see that as, as church. But specifically, the instance in which this was being used was much deeper than that because it meant something beyond an understanding of just gathering of people. It meant an actual impact. It meant power. And not power of people, but power of the Spirit. And so think about this for a moment. It would be along the same lines of not living in the presence of God. It would be along the same lines as somebody coming along and so evilly and so maliciously taking all of these individuals out of this city. And first, obviously, they're going to mourn the loss of their loved ones. They're going to mourn the loss of those that they, that they care for. But also, that city is then stranded with no help, no light, no direction, no strength, no protection. And if you want to talk about the real punishment of, 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 of passing from this life and going to a place of separation from God, that's the real punishment. It's not the fire and the anguish and the gnashing of teeth. It's the fact that we are, are, are totally taken away, that God's presence in our life has been expunged and we have nothing but darkness. God is your source of hope. God is your source of light. God is your source of comfort. God is your source of strength and peace. When we talk about destiny, there is a destiny that requires or that results in us not experiencing God anymore. The bottom line can be found in this chapter as well for this sermon today. The bottom line can be found in chapter 22, moving down to verse 12. It says, Now, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give each person according to what they have done. That's destiny, right? We have the opportunity to, to respond to the gospel, to, to drink the living water. We get to decide if we're going to engage in the grace that God's given us. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is God talking. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and, that, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts and sexual immorality, the murderers and the idolaters, and anyone, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. As I said before, this isn't some new and mystical and eye-opening uh, passage right here. Instead, this is a continuation of the same message that Jesus preached as he talked, as he walked this earth. Come, I have living water. 
Come, I, I want to give you something greater than you might ever experience, that you could ever experience in this world. I want to close by reading a, a passage from, uh, actually it's the, the publication is called Guidepost. And um, this specific passage is one that I have kept close, that I, um, I attempt to think about often. Perhaps you've read it before, but it's, it's simply, and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's, it's powerful. And I'm going to read. It says, therefore, or it says, there I was a young woman who had been diagnosed with a, a, a terminal illness, and I'd been given three months to live. So she was getting her things in order. She contacted her pastor and had him come to her house and discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service, which scripture she would like to have had read, and which outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing to leave when the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. She said, there's one more thing. She said this excitingly. pastor said, what's that? She said, this is very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood there looking at the young woman, not quite sure what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it? The young woman asked. And, well, to be honest, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. And the young woman explained, my grandmother once told me a story. And from that time on, I've always tried to pass along this message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, all, I always remembered that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake, I'm sorry, I'm going to make you hungry here this morning, or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful with substance. So I just want people to look and see me in the casket with a fork in my hand. I want them to wonder, what's that fork for? And then I want you to tell them, keep your fork, for the best is yet to come. There's more to the story, but I'm just going to skip to the last part. It says, during his message, the pastor told the people the conversation he had with the young woman shortly before he died. she died. He also told them about the fork and about what it symbolized to her. And he told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them that they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. Well, he was right. In fact, I read this story for the first time 20 years ago, and I can't stop thinking about it. So the next time you reach down to get your fork, or as you depart, actually, we're going to have a fork for you. Let me remind you ever so gently, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come to come. A challenge along with this might be don't cash in this temporary life or the desires of this life or the things that you might think are fun or the things that you'd like to do or your own agenda for the best that God has for you that's yet to come. Keep a kingdom perspective. Continue to remember that it's not just about what happens temporal here in this life, today, tomorrow, this week, but the best is yet to come. In fact, live in the reality that God's created a way. He's created a plan. He has a desire for you. And through this opportunity to engage with him, he's created a path for you to be able to experience the best, which is yet to come. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in this moment. God, you are so good to us. 
While we were yet sinners, you still died. And Father, your son, who loved us so much, was willing to give all. And while we look at it, we see a a, a death. We look at it and see the pain he went through. It was also about the the humility it took and and the reality that he was willing to say yes so that we might experience real and lasting life, so that we might drink this, this, this living water. And at the same time, so that we might be able, Father, to live in eternity with you. You have created the way, God. May we not reject it. May we step forward with the understanding, God, that you have created a path for us to experience peace, hope, joy, not just for a while, for a time, but for eternity. And I pray for those that are joining online or that are here in this room that don't know you. I pray, Father, they wouldn't try to outthink this or they wouldn't try to come up with another excuse or they wouldn't try to to land on something else, but instead, God, that they would recognize who you are and how simple this really is. You died for them so that they might be able to experience you. At the same time, God, I pray for those that are in this room, Father, that know you, that are, that are, that are living their life, Father, as, as believers, as those that if they pass today, that they would live with you in eternity. God, may they be holding that fork with the understanding and the knowledge and live a life in response to the fact they're holding that fork that the best is yet to come. May we not wish away this life. May we not say, okay, well, I, I can't wait to get out of here. May we use this life in the way that you've called us to do so, but may we have the perspective God, that you have a plan, that you will come and you've created a new place and we can be, we can be with you for eternity. God, may no one leave here lost. May no one leave here confused. May no one leave here or turn this off today and say, well, I'm not sure what would happen. Father, we pray for that assurance. We pray that person would, would step forward or would say yes to you. And God, I, I, I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters that we would be able to wrap our arms around those that we know that may not know you. Maybe those that are not even in this room, God. Maybe those that are sitting home or they're working this morning, that we can be salt and light to them, that we can reveal to them that the best is yet to come. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence and your continued work in our lives, continued work, Father, in this world. May we come to you for all that we are. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Be diligent, be on mission, be encouraged, be aware, be holy. Be reminded the best is yet to come. Go this week in peace and in love. You're dismissed. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.